agreement concerning uh, salvation. If we asked 100 people about the topic of salvation, the things necessary to be saved, or if there is salvation, I think we might very well get 100 different answers, depending on where we're at. If we were to ask the atheist, I think the atheist would say, there's no God, there's no need to be saved. I think if we asked the moralist, they would say, be a good person, do good things, and you'll be saved. If we asked the humanist, I think they would proudly state, there's nothing greater than man, and I'm not interested in your version of God. The religionist or the religious type person would say, join the church of your choice and be as faithful to it as you can. God loves everybody. He's going to save everyone. But I think if we ask God, God would tell us, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, John 3, verse 3. I think if we asked Peter, he would tell us how to be born again, 1 Peter 3, 21. He said it was the like figure wherein to even baptism doth also now save us. Not to put any way of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a clear conscience, toward God in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I think if we listen to the writer of Hebrews, he would confirm to us in verse 25 of our chapter, wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto him, that come unto God by him, seeing that he ever liveth to make intercession for them. If we were to study the Bible And if we were to pay attention to God's scheme of redemption and we were to do it sincerely seeking salvation, we could find it. And we can learn that we can be saved to the uttermost. Within the statement of the writer of Hebrews, this one statement, we see God's plan of salvation. We see His scheme of redemption. We see His plan, we see His power, and we see His promise. We see it from the very beginning of the Bible all the way to the very end. Everything points to this scheme of of redemption. There are no inconsistencies in the Bible. There are none. There are no contradictions in the Bible. And if any choose, they can be saved to the uttermost. That's what the writer of Hebrews affirmed for us in the man Jesus Christ. And that's the title for tonight's sermon Saved to the uttermost. And as we look at that topic, as we notice within that one statement found in Hebrews 7, 25, I want us to begin with God's plan to save mankind. His plan is for them that come. That's who the plan was designed for. It's designed to save those who come. Oh, Christ died for the world. Any in the world can be a part of this plan, but they must come. And I want us to notice to begin with that this plan was a costly plan. Mark 10 verse 45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give His life a ransom for many. It was a costly plan. Heaven's glory came and presented Himself in the very form of a servant. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Then he went to the cross. He paid the ransom for our salvation in blood. That's a costly plan. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, 1 Peter 1, 18, as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ 
as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. God's plan was a costly plan, but it was His plan. And it was the eternal plan, Ephesians 3, verse 11. And it was fulfilled in the man, Christ Jesus. It was a costly plan, but I want us to notice it was a completed plan. God doesn't do anything halfway. He won't save us halfway. He won't condemn us halfway. God will do exactly what He said He would do. It's a completed plan. It doesn't need revision. It doesn't need to be devised and looked at in a way that uh, someone can make it just a little better. It's God's completed plan. Jude said, speaking of the faith, that we were to contend for it, for it was once for all delivered. There's not a second plan. There's no plan B. It doesn't have to be updated like our software or our wardrobes or our vehicles. It does not have to be updated at all. It is a completed plan and we see it from one end of the Bible to the other and it's stated in this one statement found by the writer of Hebrews. It's completed and it's finished forever. And through it, this writer of Hebrews said that we can have eternal redemption. Hebrews 9 verse 12. We can have eternal redemption. Once we are saved by God and we enter into the kingdom of God, we enter into the eternal abode where the saved will be eternally. We have no fear of losing our salvation at that point. God has given it to us. There will be no sins in heaven. There will be no heartbreaks in heaven. There won't be anything to tempt us or try us in heaven. It will be eternal redemption. But we have to get there. We have to get there. We can get there through this costly, completed plan. It's perfect and it is complete. It will bring salvation to all who choose to accept it. I want us to to think about this for just a moment. This plan is very simple. It's a very simple plan. In fact, it is so simple that the world, the majority of it, will stumble right through it. It's as simple as believing and as easy as trusting. I want us to think about some things taught to the world in general. As I was doing some research for this, uh, this sermon tonight, I was reading something that an individual had written concerning salvation. And I was agreeing with him all the way. Of course, I knew where we, at some point we were going to disagree. But he got to Romans chapter 10 and, and he read verse 9 and he, he wanted to stop at verse 9 saying that if we confess, we can be saved. Now I believe that. That's what the writer said. Paul made that statement. But he left out verse 10. Let's go to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Paul says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt receive in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. I believe that. I believe that. There's no doubt about that. But Paul didn't stop his statement at that. He goes on. There's another verse. Right after that, verse 10 says... For, that tells us how to accomplish what we just read. He says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. We can't stop at confession. 
We can't stop it. Believe. See, this plan is so simple. It's, it's as easy as believing and as simple as trusting. Do I believe what Paul said? Absolutely. If I believe what Paul said, my heart lends me unto salvation because I believe. With the heart man believes unto salvation, not into salvation. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I'm not righteous and I'm not saved until I finish the completed plan that was costly that God delivered to the world. So there's something else, right? It's a costly plan, and we're going to get to the other part in just a moment. It's a costly plan. It's a completed plan, and it for certainly is a controversial plan. But why, someone says, why is it controversial? Well, the plan is so controversial because it is so narrow in scope. Prior to going back to the Father, Jesus was uh, comforting the disciples in John 14, and He said, I'm going to go prepare a place. If I go, I'll come and get you. You know the way. Thomas said, well, how do I know the way? He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Verse 6, no man goeth unto the Father except by me. That's the plan. It's a narrow plan. It's narrow in scope. We can't get to the Father through some denomination in the world. We can't get to the Father through someone usurping the throne of God and, and telling the world He's Christ's vicar on earth. We can't get to God through a man-made religion and someone placing themselves on the throne of God and telling people they're a modern-day prophet. We're not going to get to God that way. See, it's a very narrow scope. It's very controversial. In fact, it is, it is so narrow that God only knows one way for a sinner to be saved. He knows only one way. We talked about part of it, Romans chapter 10, verse 9. With the heart man believeth unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Of course we recognize and understand that repentance is necessary. Peter said it was, Acts 2 verse 38, Acts 3 19. Paul said it was in Acts 17, 30 and 31. Necessary to repent, change our lives, format it to the way God wants us to live. So we have belief and repentance and confession. But what's the unto? What puts us into? has to be the... The immersion in water has to be, right? We have to, have to be able to get into Christ. And there's only two places in the whole of the Bible that tell us how to do that. Galatians 3, 26 and 27. Romans 6, 3 and 4. We're baptized into Christ. For as many of you have, as have been baptized into Christ, you've put on Christ. Galatians 3, 26 and 27. Do we see now it's a very controversial plan? Those people that we mentioned in the very beginning, the atheists, the moralists, the humanists, they don't believe that. They're not going to go along with that because it's controversial. It's too narrow for them. They want all people to be able to come to Jesus and, and to God any way they want to. I think in general the world wants to be saved. I think in general most people who live in the world today look to a higher power in some form and they want to be saved, but they want to be saved the way they want to be saved. It's so simple that people will stumble right through it. It's a costly plan. It's a completed plan. It's a controversial plan. There's one plan for all men. And if we go to heaven, we'll get there through God's plan. See, we can be saved to the uttermost. God has a plan for it. And as we read the words of the writer of Hebrews, we see the power in it as well. He said that he is able. 
Well, who's he talking about? He's talking about Christ. Jesus can save us. He's able to do that. He has the power to call us. And He will call us. And He has called the world. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 14. He called us through the gospel. That's the plan, isn't it? He delivered that to us. He has the power to reach into the very darkness of the human soul. And He can overcome sin if we allow Him to do it. That's the power of the gospel of Christ. You see, people don't just wake up one day and all of a sudden they're saved. Now, there's some people in the world probably would, would tell us that. Well, in fact, we know they would. They misunderstand who the elect are. They say from, from eternity God chose you to be saved. That's, that's incorrect. Paul or Peter said, make your calling and your election sure. We are, we are elected because we answered the call, right? God didn't say, well... Rick Owens is going to be saved from eternity and someone else will be lost forever or the other way around. See, that's not what he said. We don't just wake up saved one day. We have to hear the message. Paul said that's the power of God unto salvation, Romans 1, 16. Salvation is a result of God's power being exerted on us through the canon of the New Testament, giving us the... The, the road map, as it were, to get to heaven, the, the scheme of redemption. He provided a Savior, Revelation 13, 8. And all we have to do is accept that Savior and do what He's asked. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Well, we can go all the way back to John three sixteen as well. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him... See, we have to understand that word believe. What does that mean? That means an obedient faith, really, doesn't it? We pair that with Hebrews 11 and we listen. Uh, we read the accounts of all those men and women listed there and they had an obedient faith. See, we can believe and do nothing. Many of the chief priests believed on Jesus, but they would not confess Him, fearing of being put out of the synagogue. See, just a simple mental ascent is not going to get the job done, is it? not going to happen. God has the power to call us, but we have to answer that call. We have to... Do what He's asked us to do. When we look at the, the process of Christ coming to earth and then sending the Spirit to be the comforter to the apostles and through His message convicting the world of sin. See, we read that message and we understand we're guilty. He's called us to repentance and we accept that call. He called Lazarus out of the grave, didn't He? John 11, verses 43 and 44. And He can call us out of the tomb of sin if we'll just follow His voice. He's told us what to do, hasn't He? He's given us this scheme of redemption that we mentioned. Faith and repentance, confession, immersion in water. And when He does, we'll come forth. When He calls us, we can come forth through that scheme, just like Lazarus did. We can come to Him. We don't wake up saved. We ask God for salvation. We accept His plan. We we put it into practice in our lives and we continue to maintain our salvation. His plan has the power to call us and it certainly has the power to cleanse us. Ananias told Saul to arise and be baptized, washing away your sins, Acts twenty-two sixteen, calling on the name of the Lord. He has the power to, to cleanse the fallen Christian, the one who's gone back into the world. 1 John 1, 7. 
when we look at God's plan and once it's received and a person begins to live the Christian life and he steps outside of the light, we can, we can go back to God and God will cleanse every single stain right from our bodies and from our spiritual bodies. He'll make us white as snow again. But we have to maintain that. We have to continue in that. We have to continue to walk in the light. His power or His plan has the power to call us. It has the power to cleanse us. And it certainly has the power to change us. Notice what Paul told those in Corinth. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 11. He listed a whole uh, array of sins in which they had been a part of at one time in their lives. And then he said, 1 Corinthians 6 verse 11, And such were some of you. But you're washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. The gospel of Christ can change anyone who wants to be changed. We see it in this one simple statement. If we'll dig in deep enough and we'll look at the consistencies of the Bible and how the statement of the writer of Hebrews fits in with every other aspect of the Bible, we see it has the power to change us. We can be saved to the utmost. It's God's plan. He has the power to do it and He's promised to do it. For those who obey. That's why the writer said God is able to save. He's able to do it. He's not going to make a promise he can't keep. When God makes a promise, just consider it as if it were already done, right? When we look in Peter's letters, First and Second Peter, particularly Second Peter, and the people uh, to, whom, to who he was writing made the statement that Jesus wasn't coming back. He said, nothing has changed from the beginning of time. And then Peter begins to recount to them in his letter, he says, don't forget the flood, right? The flood changed everything. That was a big change from the beginning of time. Changed the whole world, in fact. Changed the geography of the world. Changed the atmosphere of the world. Changed the climate of the world. It changed everything. He said, God works on His own timetable. And that's when He makes that statement about a a year and a day being the same to God. makes no difference. God lives outside or exists outside of time. He doesn't work on our schedule. So things have certainly changed. But when God makes a promise, He said the Lord will return. You might as well count it as having already happened because God does what He says He will do. God's promise to save. We see that promise in His Word. We see it in His Word. The word save means to, to save, to keep safe and sound, to rescue from danger and destruction. And that's what Jesus does when He saves the soul from sin. He saves us from the deadness of our sins, Ephesians 2 verse 1. He saves, uh, saves us from the wrath of God, Romans 5 verse 9, in the torments of hell. He saves us from a wasted life, that ends in tragedy, Luke 16, 19 through 31. He saves us from self-destruction and self-deception, Proverbs 16, 25. When God saves us, He does it right. John said that we can know that we know that we're saved. We can know that we're saved. How do we do that? How do we know that we're saved? Most in the denominational world will talk about the Lord's church and say, well, you go around, you don't even know you're saved. Oh, we know we're saved. And there's a very clear way of us understanding that we're saved. God's given us a plan. 
He has the power to do it. And we see the promise. All we have to do is to live by His standards. If we live by His standards, we can know that we're saved. When God saves a soul, He does it the correct way. He doesn't have to do it twice. That soul is safe and sound. That soul is delivered. And that soul is saved. If we choose to remain saved. Jesus said, No man can pluck us from the Father's hand. See, we just sang a song, didn't we? After the storm passes, let me stand in the hollow of your hand. But we can choose to leave that hand. We don't have to come in out of the storm, do we? We can stay in the middle of the storm. We can be destroyed by the storm if that's what we choose. But when God saves a soul, He saves it, saves it correctly. As long as we never decline His salvation. You know, I have a difficult time understanding how most in the denominational world state and they'll stand firm and say you can't lose your salvation. I don't understand that when clearly we read the Bible. Paul said we could lose our salvation, Galatians 5, verse 4. Peter said we could lose our salvation, 2 Peter 2, 20 through 22. Jesus demanded that those who endure to the end will be saved. If we don't endure to the end, what's the end result? We will not be saved. Let's take the inspired word over that of people. God can save to the uttermost. We see it in this one simple statement found in Hebrews 7. We see the promise in His word and we see it in His work. When we look in 1 John 2 verse 2, we understand that Christ is the propitiation for our sins. That means He's the sacrifice. He's the only adequate sacrifice. We look in the, 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 the balance of Hebrews and we understand how Christ is greater. We see how the new covenant is greater than the old covenant. We see how the high priest Christ is greater than the high priest of the Levitical priesthood. We see how He's greater than the Melchizedek priesthood. And and the Melchizedek priesthood didn't have a place in the law of Moses. It was, a, it was a time during the patriarchal law. And when Abraham came into contact with Melchizedek, he was a prophet or a priest of God, and he didn't inherit it. That's why, that's why it says he didn't have a beginning and he didn't have an end. See, the Levitical priesthood was handed down through genealogy. Melchizedek was simply chosen to be a priest for God. He didn't have a beginning. He didn't have a mother or father. That's not intending that he wasn't born into this world through the natural means. It just means he didn't inherit that priesthood. See, Christ is even greater than Melchizedek because Christ was chosen. You know what happened to Melchizedek? He died. He died. And when he died, that was it. He didn't come back from the grave. Now, his soul didn't die. His soul didn't go into torments. But his physical body stayed and is today in the grave. Now it'll come back in the resurrection. But he, he died to live again at a later time. Christ died. He was in the Hayden realm for parts of three days. He came back. We see that in Acts chapter 2. His, his body was not left in the Hayden realm to see corruption. See, we see it in his work. He's the propitiation. He's one of a kind. He's greater. The blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin, Hebrews 10. We see it in the work of Jesus. We see that promise. He fulfilled everything. And you know what He does? 
He continually cleanses the faithful with His blood. He's not sacrificed every time that we sin. That's not what the Hebrews writer was talking about. But, but we do put Him to an open shame as if He were sacrificed again, time and time again, the shame of that. We don't want to bring shame upon Christ. He is our intercessor. He is the perfect picture and representative of the human condition because He lived through it. And He came out of the grave in His work. And we see it in His promise. Jesus did His part to save us to the uttermost. And we must do our part to be saved. God will not do for us what we can do for ourselves. We can't save ourselves. So He brought a a Savior to us. We can't come with a scheme of redemption. So He gave us a scheme of redemption. But just like those standing at the graveside of Lazarus, they could roll the rock away. So that's what God required of them. They could loose Him from His grave clothes. So that's what God required of them. We can't save ourselves, but we can believe. We can't save ourselves, but we can repent and we can confess. We can't save ourselves, but we can be immersed in water. We can't save ourselves, but we can remain faithful. See, God will not do for us what we can do for ourselves. So what's the conclusion of the whole matter? I love what Solomon says. The whole of man is to fear God and keep His commandments. God's plan of salvation has the power to save to the uttermost if we let it, if we give ourselves to Him, if we come to God through Jesus Christ. You see, the whole point of this portion of Hebrews is to show the greatness of Christ. The priests of old died. Christ is not going to die. They could only serve as long as they lived. Christ will never die again. He is absolutely superior to the Old Testament priesthood. The Old Testament priesthood was only temporary. The Old Old Testament priest could not save anyone. It wasn't possible to be saved by an Old Testament priest or by the old law. The Old Testament priest was never finished with his work. Christ did his work. And then he is sitting right now at the right hand of the Father on the throne. He went in and he offered his blood one time. It doesn't need to be done again. Jesus can save us to the uttermost. All we have to do is accept it. All we have to do is accept it. And we see the consistencies in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. We see it in this one statement. This isn't the only statement in the Bible where we can pick out and we can identify and we can see the scheme of redemption. But we have to have the rest of the Bible The Bible is its best on commentary. If we have a question in one area, I guarantee you it will answer it in another. See, we have to follow the plan of salvation. What have we done regarding God's plan? What have we done regarding the plan? What have we done regarding the promise, regarding the power for it to save? We have to ask ourselves that question. I can be saved to the uttermost Do I have the assurance? Do I know that I know I am saved? I can. We can. And if we've fallen away, we can come right back into the presence of God, come right back into the hollow of His hand, standing there waiting on the storm to pass. If you have need to answer this Lord's invitation at this time, 
Let that be known as we stand and as we sing.